Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We're coming upon the fourth season of fall festival keeping since we became a congregation three and a half years ago. Hard to believe it's been three and a half years, but it's been three and a half years. Each festival season gives us time to pause and reflect on where we have been, where we are, and where we're going. So as you reflect on the teachings, the sermons, the Bible studies, the youth studies, after-sermon discussions, all of the learning that we've done over the course of the last few years, consider the growth and understanding that has taken place amongst us, both individually and collectively, all of the growth, the, the deeper understanding that has taken place amongst our family. As families grow, of which we are a family, families endure hardship. Families endure trials and sickness. They endure outside influences together. This causes us to come together and strengthen ourselves as a group. We also experience joy. As we learn, as we mature spiritually, as we baptize new members, which we've been blessed to do here. As we understand the Bible in a deeper way. And this gives us reason to move forward. So the trials and what we endure together bring us together. The positive growth that we have gives us reason, gives us joy, and gives us reason to keep going. As we consider our core values, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. It's good to review these from time to time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is the verse from which we obtain our first core value, which is caring. And it simply says, be kind to one another. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And it's from this scripture, among, among many, but this scripture from which we get One of our core values, which is caring. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, just back a few pages. Verse 13 is the scripture from which we draw our second core value, which is courtesy. For you, brethren, verse 13, Galatians 5. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And consider the the understanding and the the teaching that we've gone through this, this year simply on the understanding of the concept of agape. That has been really one of our fundamental learning points this year. Let's go back to Hebrews 10 and just look at the third core value, just as by way of reminder and, and refocus, much like we refocus each and every year on the holy days it's good to remind ourselves what we've committed to from a core value perspective hebrews 10 verse 24 provides us with the context for the core value of consideration and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day, the return of Christ, 
approaching. These are fundamental values that help us focus on putting on the mind of Christ. That has been one of our MOs, so to speak, as a, as a group, as a family, is, is really focusing on putting on the mind of Christ. We focused on that a lot, specifically this year, and centering around, as we said, this concept of agape love, that ultimate God-like characteristic that only he and Jesus Christ have perfected. Last week, Brother Jan got us started off in our preparation for the upcoming Holy Days with his fascinating sermon on God's holy time. His explanation of the intricacies of the Old Testament observances of trumpets and atonement and how they are perfectly reflected in the eventual fulfillment of these days was a magnificent sermon to get us stirred up and started in our preparation for the fall feast days. I encourage you to have, if you have an opportunity to listen to that, review your notes from that. It really was a good a good kickoff sermon. Today what I would like to do to continue preparing for the fall festivals, because it's important that we prepare in advance. It's not enough that we show up on the Feast of Trumpets and hear about the Feast of Trumpets for the first time or show up on the Day of Atonement and hear about the Day of Atonement for the first time. As we continue to prepare for the Feast of the Fall Festivals, I would like to review the requirements for fasting. We're going to... We covered fasting, I believe, three years ago. It's been three years since I believe we've covered fasting. I'd like to cover it again, the requirements for fasting. And what we will see, what I'd like to focus on, is that a successful, meaningful fast has everything to do with our core values and how they support us putting on God's agape love. A successful fast is more than simply surviving 24 hours without food and drink. A successful fast will determine how joyful the rest of our festival keeping this year will be, and a successful fast will determine, will ultimately set us up for a new year of growth. So let's jump into fasting. Let's go back to Leviticus 23 and review the command to fast. Leviticus 23, where God's festivals are enumerated for us. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Atonement. We are about three and a half weeks away. Today is the fourteenth day. I always have it in my notes here. I don't always say it, but it's the fourteenth day of the sixth month. We're 16 days from the end of the month, and therefore 16 days from the Feast of Trumpets. Ten days following the Feast of Trumpets, we come to the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls. That's an important concept there. That is what determines and tells us that we need to fast for this 24-hour period. And understanding it, it's further explained in Scripture, but it, we understand that to mean we fast completely from food and water for a 24-hour period. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day. You look at other days, it tells us you're not to do any servile work because there was food preparation. There was, there was preparation for, for to, to uh, uh, feast. Here there's no feasting. Without food and water, there's no need to do any work of any kind obviously except for all the hard work that the priests did with the, the sacrificing. But here, 
You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So this is a serious day. This is a a serious day to God. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at even. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So here, just again, a basic review of the command to afflict our souls for 24 hours. The scripture also, you'll note in that last verse that we read, clarifies the Sabbath observance, lest anyone have any doubt that it is from even to even. It, it, It specifically clarifies that. Let's go back to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 offers more detail on this Day of Atonement, this festival that we'll be keeping in a few weeks, and the second of the fall festivals. Verse 29 of Leviticus 16. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. If you are part of the family, you are expected to follow this command. If you are part of the congregation, you are expected to follow. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls, and it is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And I'm sure we'll get into, uh, if not before then, perhaps on that day, this discussion of all this atonement making that he goes through here, from right from the, the sanctuary itself, the tabernacle, the altar, right down to the priests, and then ultimately for the entire nation of Israel. On that one day a year, atonement was made, and the sins were covered for the people. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all of their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So here we see, in addition to the physical aspect of afflicting our souls or fasting that we read about in Leviticus 23, we see a specific connection, Moses connecting this physical act of affliction with the spiritual act of forgiveness. So in addition to fasting for 24 hours, afflicting our souls, on this day, sins were covered for the nation. So we're getting a spiritual aspect, even though Israel never quite got that concept, and God's people, for the most part, some did. There are some heroes of faith that understood it, but on a, on a grand scale, most of God's people didn't quite understand it until Christ came. We see the connection to the spiritual act of forgiveness. Let's go forward to Leviticus 25. Remind ourselves what we learned last week this fascinating concept of the Jubilee, that every that one day on the Day of Atonement, every 50 years, all debts would be cleared, all land would be returned 
to its original owner. Let's read that here again. Look in verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Leviticus 25, verse 8. Seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout your land. You shall proclaim, you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee year for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unintended, unintended vine. For it is the jubilee, and it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. So for that year, they were at the mercy of God. And God, once a year, would allow everyone, once in a lifetime, on this 50th year, would allow people to return to their land to have their debts cleared. Except, as we learned last week, we were reminded last week, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, can pay our debts and purchase us back at any time. The kinsman redeemer could at that point, and he represented Jesus Christ, but the kinsman redeemer could pay the debts of anyone at any time and purchase back their debts. When we look at these events together, we look at afflicting of the soul, the cleansing of sin, and the jubilee that that took place every 50th day of atonement, and combine them with the Old Testament ceremony of the two goats, we can clearly see that this day is about so much more than simply not eating and drinking. It's almost like, and I say this facetiously, but it's almost like there's no time to eat or drink anyways. But this is about so much more than, than fasting. It has always been a spiritual festival, even for ancient Israel, even when most of them didn't really grasp the concept. It has always been a spiritual festival, something more than simply not eating or drinking. Even when Israel was only focused on fasting, it has always been a spiritual festival. So let's jump forward to Matthew 6. And again, what we, what we said we were looking at is this attitude that we need to have when, to have a successful fast. What makes a successful fast? Let's move forward to Matthew chapter 6. Recall that Matthew chapter 6 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. That You won't find that phrase, but we have deemed Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as these, it's been given the term, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've covered it various ways over the last number of years. We like to, I like to call it Christianity 101. It's the, your, your basic level of Christianity. It's almost like Christ came and said, for the next three and a half years, here's what I'm going to be talking to you about. Some of you are, have returned to school in the last couple of weeks. Every, every, the beginning of every class, you get a course syllabus. Here's what we're going to be talking about. This, is in effect, is like a course syllabus. Or this is what Christ's message, Christ's ministry, was going to be talking about for three and a half years. Pastor Adrian, back in August, gave a run-through of the Sermon on the Mount in a sermon called Building Christian Character. If you haven't heard it, it's online. But it goes through this in in good detail. Interestingly, 
here in verse 16, placed amongst the basics, like love, like the law, like the Beatitudes, like giving, like prayer, we find fasting. So fasting has its place as one of the basic teachings of Jesus Christ. So there's an obvious importance to it here. It's a, it is included, it's placed amongst love, giving, prayer, fasting, the law. It's a major tool in our growth process. Moreover, he writes in verse 16, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you fast, just the use of that phrase clearly from scripture, that is that it is a tool to be used beyond just the day of atonement. So we use fasting for many reasons. Let's go to Acts 13. Hold your place there. Let's go to Acts 13. Let's quickly look at a few examples of what fasting is used for. Not just the Day of Atonement. Acts chapter 13. Here, we're cutting into the context a little bit here, but here Barnabas and Saul, who would be named Paul, were being appointed for their first missionary journey, their first journey they went out on. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God, through the Holy Spirit, said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So here, fasting was used to prepare them for service, to prepare them for an important decision in their lives, that these two, these two servants would now be sent away to take the gospel into other areas. It was important that as a group that they fasted for them. It was that important of a decision. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Verse 29. Fasting helps us as we prepare for important decisions. Fasting helps us prepare for service. Fasting heightens our connection with God. Fasting gives us an opportunity to put all of the other distractions aside and focus ourselves on our relationship with God and how close we are with him. Here we see an example of the disciples not being able to follow through on this healing. The spirit cried out, verse 28, convulsed him greatly and came out of him and became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not do it? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This type of Miraculous healing, healing someone from 
from the presence of a demon. Here in this case, Christ said, this, this is serious, serious stuff, and it, it's not enough to pray. Prayer and fasting is what is, is important here. So here it heightens our connection with God. 1 Corinthians 7, we see another example of that fasting is beyond simply the Day of Atonement. And remember, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was written leading up to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, encouraging the brethren and how they were to act and be and solve their differences and solve their issues that before they got into the Days of Unleavened Bread. But here, Paul notes a reason for fasting. Here, just talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife, verse 5, we'll cut into the context again. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here, even something as significant and serious as the marriage bed was to be put aside for fasting whenever you chose to fast. But again, written during the Feast of Leavened Bread, obviously fasting was a tool that was used outside of just the days of the Day of Atonement. Let's go back to 2 Samuel 12 and see how fasting helps us seek God's will. Fasting helps us seek God's will. And here in this case, someone was on their deathbed. David's and Bathsheba's baby was on, their de- was on its deathbed. And we see David's reaction. Verse 16. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Verse 18, 2 Samuel 12. Then on the seventh day, David was into his seventh day of fasting. It came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. But fasting is an act of faith. They didn't, they didn't understand David and why he was fasting. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our, heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Look how, he, look how he was acting while the child was alive and on his deathbed. He's dead. Can you imagine? I don't want to go in and tell him. I don't want to be the one to go tell him he's dead. When David saw that his servants whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. First thing, he cleaned himself up, went in and worshiped God. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Now he's got everyone confused. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you rose, and now you're eating. I don't, I don't understand, because they didn't get the concept of fasting. David was using fasting to seek God's will and God's answers, and to help make sure he was aligned with God's will. 
And he said, while a child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? There's no need to seek God's will. God's will is spoken. But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I should go to him, but he shall not return to me. So when we see this concept of fasting, we see that it is this tool that is used more than just on the 10th day of the 7th month, don't eat for 24 hours. There's a, there's a deep spiritual need and reason why we fast. Let's go to Luke 18 before we go back to Matthew 6. Luke 18. Because later on, Christ expounded upon this concept of trying to impress others with our fasting. And he used this in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18. And again, for time's sake, we're just going to cut in at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer or even as this tax collector. Not only am I not like them, I fast twice a week. I mean, I give tithes of everything that I possess. Back to Matthew 6. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. We're going to read verse 16 to 18 again. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, disfiguring their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. That's what he was referring to when we read in Luke 18, that, in, that we publicly try to glorify ourselves by how much we're fasting, by how sad we look. Obviously, amongst family, we're going to know when each other is fasting. It's not about not telling anybody you're fasting. It's about seeking glory, personal glory from people for your fasting. When we come together on the Day of Atonement, there's not going to be any secrets. Everyone's going to know we're kind of all fasting. So this, this has less to do with not telling anybody and more to do with seeking glory from men. Because Christ further goes to clarify that here as he continues. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But because we're not fasting to men, we fast for God. And it is from God that we get our reward. To your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God is the source of our reward. Bottom line, Christ adds fasting to his introductory sermon, but focuses 100% of his teaching on our attitude. How we are to conduct ourselves when we're fasting, how we are to, to, to uh, conduct our, our, our demeanor around others, that is not to be, uh, we're not to... to Conduct ourselves in such a braggadocious way around others, but it's, we are to, it is between us and God that we are fasting. Why does he focus on attitude around fasting? Because not eating is the easy part. Look, just go back, back through the history book. The physical 
issue of not eating is the easiest part of the Day of Atonement. It might not feel like it first or second time, but really not eating is the easy part. Doing it with the right attitude is the hard part. Let's look a little further into what I mean by that. Let's go back to Isaiah 58. Back to Isaiah 58. As we look at this attitude that God expects us to have as we prepare to fast. Isaiah 58. Verse 1. Cry aloud, Isaiah writes. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. And tell my people their transgression. And the house of Jacob their sins. Remember what we read about in Leviticus. Part of the day of atonement was the covering of sin for the nation. Here God says, tell my people their transgression. And the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice, and they take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take notice? We remember that the Day of Atonement was the nation's annual forgiveness of sin. And here, on the outside, it appears like they are seeking God. He says here, they they appear to delight in knowing my ways. They appear to be after righteousness. They appear that they have not forsaken my ordinances, my laws. And they ask for justice. But let's go back to verse 21 of the previous chapter. Remember that these are these are, there was no chapter breaks when Isaiah penned his prophecy. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, yet we're in the midst of all this chaos? We're do, we, we did what you said. You said fast for 24 hours. You said afflict your souls on the, on, on the day of atonement, and we've done that, and you're not hearing us. We're, the, we're being persecuted. We're in the midst of all of this. But there's no peace for the wicked. Is there a connection here between behavior? Is there something more than simply fasting for 24 hours? God gets to that. They were clearly, when we read, there's no peace for the wicked. They were clearly not ready for his forgiveness. They were clearly not ready for his forgiveness. And then he tells them why. In fact, verse 3, as it continues, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. This fast, you're fasting for 24 hours, but you're being, you're, you're abusing your people. You're abusing those who work for you. You're exploiting your people. You strife and debate. How can I ignore all of your action and reward you simply because you don't eat for 24 hours or don't drink for 24 hours? Go back to my law and read my law, and you'll see that it's way more than that. It's way, way more than simply not eating or drinking. 
Is this a fast, he continues in verse 5, that I've chosen? This is the fast that you, that you expect me to reward? It's a day for man to afflict his soul. It's just a day for man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? That's all I'm expecting of you? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord when before and after you're exploiting people, you're, strife, you're striving with them and debating with them, taking pleasure in their pain? This is the fast you're, you're keeping? Remember what we learned last week about the Jubilee. This is a day that pictures freedom and restoration. That every 50 years, we all get a shot. We all get a do-over. We all get a mulligan. That our debts are cleared. That we are restored to our land. But just because it comes every 50 years, doesn't give God's people a right not to, not to act this way the other 49. We don't, get, we don't get free 49 years to abuse and exploit. And then if, if you, in, this, in this age when you had slaves as owners of slaves, or as owner, as in, in this, this economic system that was there, laborers that they had, you didn't get 49 free years to treat them how you wanted to, and then on the 50th year, let them go. That's not how God expected them to act. Is this a fast? Would you call this an acceptable fast to the Lord? They were not obeying this part of the Day of Atonement. They, were not, they didn't get the concept of freedom and restoration. Remembering that the kinsman redeemer could come and clear out their debts at any time, like we heard last week. Verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? So you're keeping a fast, but you're acting this way. Let me tell you the fast that I want you to keep. And it has nothing to do. Let me rephrase that. It goes beyond not eating and drinking for 24 hours. It goes above and beyond. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. This is starting to sound like that kinsman redeemer we have and what he has done for us. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. You cannot oppress people, God tells them, and keep the Day of Atonement in the proper spirit. You cannot inflict burdens upon them and not share with people and keep them bonded and, 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 and tied down. I free you every 50 years, and yet you're, you're going to treat people differently than I treat you. You cannot oppress people and keep the Day of Atonement in its proper spirit. Let's go. We'll come back to this in a, in a little while. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. We see here God, when we read Isaiah 58, he distanced himself from their fast. He said, just because you're fasting doesn't mean you're keeping it right. 
In fact, that's your fast. You want to keep my fast? Here's how you keep my fast. Loosen the burdens, not, not oppress people, etc. Here, Isaiah begins his prophecy to Judah from God, focusing on, of all things, their behavior on the holy days. Right from the very beginning, he focuses upon their behavior and how it relates to the holy days. We'll pick it up in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of God, of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, of course, he's not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's talking to Judah. But their actions were, in God's eyes, made them just like the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed cattle. And I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. I've had enough. I'm tired that every year I smell these, these what is supposed to be these beautiful aroma of these offerings coming up to me. And I have to sit and watch as you, as you, you live a life of denigrating people, mistreating each other, and not following my ways. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Your incense is an abomination to me. That word abomination is, is deep. Remember we talked about the, the six things are, are an abomination to God, no, seven things he hates. When God uses the word abomination, he is, he is completely turned off. And here, their, their sacrifices, their incense, the, all their offerings, the blood that they sacrificed, that they thought they were obeying, was a turnoff to God. They're an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I can't endure iniquity in a sacred meeting. I can't sit and watch my people be completely sinful and then act pious in the tabernacle of meeting. I, 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 I can't stand it. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you may make many prayers, I'm not, I'm not going to hear. Your hands are full of blood. Obeying the physical aspects of the holy days does not constitute keeping them. So therefore, it must be about our attitude. It must be about our actions. It must be about how we are living apart from those, those periods of time that we are following God's law to a T. We must do this. It's not to say we're not to fast. We're not to keep the Day of Atonement for a 24-hour period. We're not to work for that 24-hour period. That's not to say we're not to do that. We must do that. But we must do so much more than that. That's not enough. Back to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Christ revisits the same and a similar concept in his introduction to his ministry. This Christianity 101 or whatever moniker you like to give it. He includes this teaching in the basics here in Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... 
and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And this ties right in with our understanding of agape love, our trying to learn to put that on in a deeper way, our core values, our trying to understand, put on the mind of Christ, and linking all of this into festival keeping. Because here, God says, listen, keep your offerings. We have tried to understand how, how special an off- it is to be able to come to God seven times a year and present an offering before him. So much so that in our liturgy, we've added a prayer of acceptance, that we pray that God accepts our, our offering. Here God says, if you've got something against your brother, I, don't, I, I want nothing to do with your offering. It's, it's, it's bloody. If you connect it back to Isaiah 1, it's, it's, with, it's been given with hands full of blood. Take it back. Fix your problems. Then come and present yourself and your offering to me. So our actions and our attitude, apart from the, the feast days, determine God accepting our worship of him on those feast days. How can we enter into God's presence any time, let alone on the most solemn day of the year, as Leviticus tells us, with unresolved issues against anyone, but especially, as Christ says here, with brethren? And that's part of Christ's basic teaching. So as we continue to grow in understanding of agape love, in understanding of how we are to treat the brethren, which is more than just those in this room and more than just those who tithe to the same organization we've tithed to, the brethren in the body of Christ, we must be sure that we resolve our issues, if we have any, before we keep God's festivals. That's why we have Passover preparation. And it's almost like here we have atonement preparation. We definitely prepare for the Passover, but here preparing to keep the fall festivals is just as important. Let's go back to Isaiah 58. We left off in verse 9 where God told them what a real fast was. And in addition to not eating and drinking, how we treat people matters. Verse 9, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Apart from this, we can call and call and call and call. And back to, there's a passage in, in Matthew, it's like, Knock, 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 Lord. I don't know who you are. I, I can't answer the door. But this way, we call and God will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and you satisfy the afflicted soul, you want your soul to be, uh, your afflicted soul to be satisfied? Satisfy someone else's afflicted soul. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. I believe we, that was a little line from the song we sang, 106 there. Darkness, noonday bright. Then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. 
You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We can see now why God actually asks us to fast. That it, it, is, it is to get this concept that we are to, to extend his grace to others. Those from among you, verse 12, shall build the old places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. This jubilee attitude that Christ redeemed us, we must pay that favor forward to other afflicted souls. We see that here. Pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness, ignoring the hungry, not satisfying afflicted souls. Then he tells us, if you do this, you shall, be, you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Why, I, th- I thought Christ was the repairer of the breach. I thought Christ was the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If we are putting on his mind, if we are becoming more like him, if we become each and every year more Christ-like, more filled with agape love, understanding how to practice that, and we are ambassadors of his here on this earth through our time in this life. On his behalf, we become repairers of the breach. We become restorers of the streets to dwell in. Ezekiel 22. This jubilee attitude where we understand that we have been redeemed. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. We have been freed from serving an adversary that wants to see us dead, that does not want us to partake of eternal life, that we have been bought back by our kinsman redeemer, that we've been bought back by Christ. And we put on his mind, we start and we continue to, to act like him more and more, that we, that we become more Christ-like, that we become made a little bit more in the image and likeness of God. We become a repairer of the breach. And why is that important? Let's look here at what Ezekiel talks about, a repairer of the breach. Verse 29. Again, if you go back to verse, we won't take time to go back to verse 23, but if you begin at verse 23, it really talks about what a sad state of affairs God's people were in. Right from the top of their leadership all the way down, things were being violated. You know what? It's early. We got a little bit of time. Verse 23. Let's go back to verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Remember, the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement was all about having the land cleansed of their sins. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. And they have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They've not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they've hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. So not just the weekly Sabbath, but they're the annual Sabbaths. So that I, God, am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divine lies for them. Thus says the Lord God when the Lord had not spoken. So again, 
acting on God's behalf and teaching things that were not true. Telling them this is what God says when God's not what God said at all. The people of the land have used oppressions, have committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and the needy. The same characterization that Isaiah mentioned when they were not keeping the Feast of Atonement right, the Day of Atonement right. And they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. That is not a Day of Atonement attitude. That is not understanding freedom and redemption that is given to God's people on the Day of Atonement. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God wants us to be someone who can stand in the gap, who can repair the breach. He has little patience when his people act like the adversary and not like Christ. So being a repairer of the breach, when we go back in, in Isaiah, and, we, and he tells us that if we do all of these things, we will be a repairer of the breach. We become this person that God, God is looking for, someone who can stand in the gap, who can span the breach. He also tells us that we can be a restorer of the streets to dwell on. Let's go to Zechariah 8. Zechariah 8. Verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, and with great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And we can picture, we know what Zechariah talks about, we can picture the return of Christ descending down upon the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand. Because of great age, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. This kingdom we're looking forward to will be one where the streets will be dwelt in. We see here this description that old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. We don't sit on our front stoop anymore. We sit in our backyard. It's a little safer, it's a little more private, keeps us sort of contained a little bit. Maybe some do, but for the most part, most people don't sit on their front stoop anymore. People sit on their back stoop. It's tough to, in fact, kids today, it's irritating to hear them outside because it's vulgar, uh, they're destroying things. Back in the day, it was fun to be outside. Parents were outside, it, it, it was completely safe. Parents would be outside drinking a tea. Kids would be outside playing road hockey or baseball or whatever it was, tag. Here, the streets will be restored to dwell in. Old men shall sit and and old women shall sit in the streets, each one with a staff in his hand. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Is God's way marvelous in our eyes? God wants builders and restorers on his team. 
And when we go, when we partake of the Day of Atonement properly, with an attitude of releasing others from bondage, whether that be the bondage we've inflicted upon them or bondage that we've inflicted upon ourselves, and treat the body of Christ with care, courtesy, and consideration, all the body of Christ, we become people who can stand in the gap. We become people who are repairers of the breach. We become people who restore peaceful streets to dwell in. And in a limited way, we bring God's kingdom to earth while we are here. In a limited, minor way, we can bring God's kingdom to earth this time. Because we represent Christ. We represent his ways. But there will come a time when God's kingdom will really dwell on earth, as we read about here. Christ coming down in the midst of Jerusalem. Because he is the true repairer of the breach. He is the true restorer of streets to dwell in. Is God's way, as he asks us here in Zechariah, is his way marvelous in our eyes? The seventh month of God's calendar begins in two short weeks. And it will be a very busy, busy month. We're hosting the Feast of Trumpets in Aberfoyle. Many are helping with various aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles. You're likely making plans to get off work, to get off school, to not fall behind in school, to perhaps plan projects or plan some of your work for somebody to replace you, not to fall behind. Don't look that festival in, in between. The one in between when we kick all this off with a fabulous day of trumpets where we gather and we share a meal together and, and then we look forward to that feast where we go away for eight days. Don't overlook that festival in between, that Sabbath of solemn rest we know as the Day of Atonement. It is so much more than simply not eating and drinking. Some do need to prepare in advance by lowering their coffee consumption. We hear talk that I, I need to reduce my coffee where I'm down to like half a cup just before the Feast of Atonement. Or slowly reducing your food intake. I know some on the previous day eat very little on the previous day. And it's mostly vegetables, yogurt, a little bit here, but not a big meal beforehand. So we prepare physically in advance for this. But we must do so much more than that for this day to mean anything to our spiritual growth. Reflect on the actions of our kinsman redeemer and all that he did to bring us to where we are today. Reflect on our relationships with others especially those in the body of Christ, and repair any breaches you've created and restore the streets in which you dwell. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.